this is the in focus podcast from the hindu welcome to the hindus in focus podcast i'm zubeda hamid your host for today early data from the national family health survey 5 for 22 states and union territories throws up some worrying data on child nutrition in the country. Stunting, which is low height for age, was seen to increase in 13 of the 22 states and union territories surveyed. The data was collected in 2019, before the COVID-19 pandemic hit the country. Speaking to us today about the data and what it means, the impact of the economic slowdown on nutrition, the multi-pronged approach needed to deal with nutrition, and what states can do to improve outcomes, is Dr. Purnima Menon, a senior research fellow at the International Food Policy Research Institute. Good afternoon, Dr. Purnima Menon, and welcome to the Hindus in Focus podcast. We're going to be speaking today about the National Family Health Survey 5 and what its results indicate for India. The results of the first phase of NFHS 5 show an increase in stunting, which is low height for age, in 13 of the 22 states and union territories that were covered by the survey. Could you explain to us what this indicates about child malnutrition in the country? Uh, sure. So, uh, so firstly, I should um, you know, clarify and, and sort of uh, just put the results in context for us a little bit. I, I think what's important to remember here is that there are, uh, of course, there are increases in uh, in stunting in in you know several of the states that have for which data are available in some of the states uh, we still don't know if those increases are uh, significant because they are within about you know one to two percentage points so one would need uh, sort of updated the, the unit level data to to assess that uh, but in but yes in in some of the states um, you know there is an increase and that you know overall for us suggests that um, so if you if you sort of apply a cutoff of plus minus uh, one percentage point based on the sampling error of the survey from 20, 2016, what we see in the analysis is that in 10 of the 22 states, you, you see an increase that's uh, greater than the sampling error. And in eight of the states, the changes are less than one percentage point, whereas in four of the 22 states, you see a decrease. So uh, to me, overall, this is a picture of... Um, of stagnation. Um, and, you know, in the states where there has been a, a substantial increase is where, you know, we need to take a very, uh, very hard look at what has happened in the last few years and where have those uh, increases come from. You know, and I think those states are, um, you know, Telangana, uh, Kerala, etc. These are states where one wouldn't necessarily have expected uh, increases. So I think, you know, for me, uh, this is clearly and this is an area of concern and it's an area for uh, further investigation. Could you explain to us a little bit about stunting, doctor, and uh, and what it means uh, in, in the context of malnutrition in India? Sure. So uh, malnutrition uh, is known to take several different forms and uh, stunting or low height for one's age is, is you know, one of the forms of, of malnutrition that... Uh, you know, gives many of us uh, a lot of pause. It's something that we've spent a lot of time trying to understand and unpack. 
So it's basically where um, children's uh, growth in terms of height is lower than expected for their age. So their attained growth is is lower than expected for their age. And we benchmark it to an international, an internationally accepted reference population that includes children from India in it. Uh, where, you know, so, so what we're doing is comparing the, the distribution or the numbers, the percentages of children who are, um, you know, who are growing below that, uh, the reference population, the reference height for their age, uh, in any population. And so, um, it's, it, it's a very useful indicator because it's a marker of, um, what is primarily a deficient environment for child growth. Um, and uh, it's also a marker that's associated with poor outcomes for children, you know, much later in life. So in many senses, you know, um, the marker of, you know, populations with high levels of child uh, childhood stunting um, basically are sending us a signal when we see sort of a, a high proportion or we see proportions that are not moving. It's sending us a signal that something is is not right in uh, the environments of those children, because in the end, you know, children grow in in home environments, um, and it's sending us signals that those environments for child growth are suboptimal. And so, you know, it's it's not, you know, it it isn't uh, the kind of a marker for which you know I can tell you I have a magic pill and it's going to go away. Uh, unfortunately, that's not the case. <laughs> Uh, Purnima, most of the data for the NFHS-5 was collected in 2019, before the COVID-19 pandemic hit. With large-scale job losses and possible food insecurity following the pandemic, will there be a further dent in the nutrition data, especially with the non-availability of school meals due to the lockdown? Um, So, you know, we are definitely uh, projecting and anticipating that there will be increases in, in child undernutrition. Uh, particularly wasting and stunting in, you know, in coming years because of, uh, the economic impacts of the pandemic. Um, the relationship with school meals is a little different though, because the school meals are offered to children who are above the age of five and childhood stunting is measured among those who are under five. Okay. So, um, I, I would say that the, the uh, setbacks that are happening in the education sector because of the closing of schools, the, um, you know, the re sort of rejigging, if you will, because in some states they've done some different things for the school meals. But in effect, you know, children are out of school and the implications of that for malnutrition are more likely to be both for those older kids themselves, but can also potentially later have intergenerational impacts. You know, but those are going to come primarily from, for example, if there are dropouts to school and other such things. So the school meals does not relate to uh, the stunting, et cetera, that you're seeing that is related, that is measured among children under five. I hope that clarifies. These are two different populations we're talking about. Got it. Got it. So what... uh... You just mentioned uh, the economic slowdown caused by the pandemic. But since the results uh, of the first phase were done in uh, 2019, uh, what are we already seeing? Nutritional deficiencies in children. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, we are, you know, definitely concerned, I think, about what uh, the pandemic is, is, you know, about the impacts of the pandemic. And I, I think we will see 
at least some results of that um, in the NFHS file, uh, which is being collected in a lot of, you know, in actually several of the lab, large states right now. NFHS 5 data is being collected in what is in effect a post and through uh, COVID situation. So I, so I think in a sense, we will learn quickly about, you know, what is happening uh, to children and, and at least to some forms of malnutrition. I mean, I don't think we're going to immediately see the impacts on stunting of the pandemic because, you know, it takes a while for those results to, to accumulate in children. Um, but we'll probably see some effects of, you know, the service delivery drops and uh, perhaps household food security. Now, one big challenge is that the NFHS 5 does not collect data on household food security. It does not have modules to, to measure that. So we're not going to see direct impacts on household food security as part of the pandemic. Uh, but there are, there is now sort of a patchwork of other data, uh, that's available from around the country from researchers in, in different places. Uh, that suggests that there have been pretty sharp increases, um, or, you know, that the food insecurity situation, because in, not in many cases do we have both pre and post, um, lockdown data on food security. There is quite a lot of data from this period, though, that shows that the challenge of food insecurity is very real for many families. Um, unfortunately, you know, the NFHS is designed in a way to give us national, state, and district representation. You know, it gives us data that really is geographically relevant. Um, the surveys that are being done by, you know, different people, different researchers that are showing high levels of food insecurity, they're all coming from different subpopulations. So we're not really going to be able to say, you know, what the nationwide situation is uh, around some things, you know, like like food insecurity without actually having NFHS-like surveys that, but that include the questions to measure food insecurity, which we don't have right now. Okay. Punima, if could you give us a little bit of an idea about the factors that influence child nutrition? Uh, we know that the household's um, income would be one of those factors, but what are the other things uh, that could uh, influence child nutrition? Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, there's a, a lot of work that's been done on this in the last several years, you know, showing that it's, you know, it's a combination of uh, the state of the mother, the parents, really, before they, before, you know, mothers, before women get pregnant and have babies. So their own, you know, their education levels, their heights, their own uh, nutritional status. Then it's a state of the care that women receive in during pregnancy, etc. And then, you know, after babies are born, of course, the uh, feeding practices and use of both preventive and curative healthcare. So it's just, you know, I think the challenge with something like nutrition is it's a set of behaviors uh, that has to happen every day over a fairly long period of time. And so this is where um, enabling environments in the households, you know, and things that enable families to care for their children. This is where, you know, things like income and poverty and access to care, sanitation, et cetera, become really important because it's quite impossible, I think, to, you know, to care for young infants the way they need to be cared for without having those things that make that easier for parents. And somehow we, you know, we haven't fully accounted for that in thinking about 
you know, nutrition strategies or other such things. I mean, we've acknowledged that multiple things matter, um, but we haven't yet sort of really figured out, okay, how do you put that in place for the 27 million babies that are born every year in, in India? It's no small ask, you know, it's a, it's a huge challenge. It is, it yeah. is. Punima, the Poshan Abhiyan or the National Nutrition Mission launched in March 2018 mm-hmm. was aimed at improving the nutritional outcomes for children, pregnant women and lactating mothers. That's right. Uh, the Niti Ayog in a recent report had said the program's efforts needed to be stepped up in order to meet targets. What are the ways the program has worked and the ways it hasn't going by the recent NFHS data? Um, again, too early to say. I, uh, you know, I, I think the NFHS is not, so it needs to be, we need to look at many more of the questions in the NFHS data. I mean, remember what you've seen so far is a very partial picture of the data that's actually available in the NFHS. Yes. Um, and the question you're asking is, you know, in that data, what is it that we can hold the National Nutrition Mission accountable for? And what is it you, you know, and then I would also say, what is it you can't hold it accountable for, right? So, uh, for example, there's a lot of work that happened under the National Nutrition Mission was to improve the the reach and quality of several services uh, under both the National Health, uh, Health Ministry and the services of the ICBS. The uh, data that's available in the fact sheet so far is only available for a few of those interventions or actions that were in Poshan Abhyan. There are many others delivered by the ICDS for which the data are, you know, are there in the data set, but they are not available in the fact sheets. And so until that data is released, we're not going to know whether, for example, the program was successful in increasing the number of children, um, you know, who received food supplements or the number of families that received behavior change counseling or you know, the the numbers of children that um, were uh, monitored and screened for malnutrition. Those are the things that were happening under the mission programmatically. There are indicators for those available in the NFHS 5 data set, but they're not yet available in the data sheets. So, yes, so, right. so we are not able to to account for it fully. Should we hold the portion of young accountable for the levels of stunting that you see in the kids? No, because the temporality doesn't line up. You know, you, the program in its form as now started up in mid to late 2018. And then you start collecting data, you know, say six months after that. You can only expect changes in, you know, coverage and changes in some behaviors. So, you know, I think it's kind of, uh, it's premature to say too much about the impact of the mission because A, we need the, the full complement of data available from the NFHS to be released because then as an evaluator or a researcher, I can patch that information together with what you know is available in public about the implementation of the mission's activities and then actually put a picture together about the mission uh, and the specificities of you know, the programs that were delivered. Uh, so my, you know, my concern with all of this is, um, you know, we, we have to think about programs and how we evaluate them really thoughtfully and not just, uh, react when we see sort of early figures. I, I mean, I just, you know, I really think that we need to do a careful analysis 
because again, these things, these programs are not implemented uniformly around the country. So I would want to look at districts where Poshan Abhyan was strongly implemented, uh, compare that to districts where it wasn't strongly implemented, look at whether we saw improvements in coverage and then improvements in key nutrition behaviors that were targeted by the mission and then say, okay, you know, is it a thumbs up or a thumbs down, you know, and what, what are the directions that may need to move? I think right. what so, we know from, from the data so far is, and what we've known forever is that it's not enough to just run, you know, one program like, uh, you know, Potion of Yama or ICDS that, you know, that is nested within the ICDS and then hold it accountable for everything that happens in children's lives. Because, you know, you need the economy to grow. You need people's, you know, children's families to have incomes. You need, you know, that their mothers are not married early. Um, that sort of takes, you know, we need a whole of society approach to tackling malnutrition, not a single program approach. So it, in a sense, it reminds us that, you know, you can do a lot of things programmatically from, say, within one ministry's program. But to really tackle the problem at hand, that's going to be a necessary but not sufficient kind of a set of actions. And I, I think for me, that's what the NFHS 5 is reminding us of. You know, this idea that you have to put together a whole set of things that are sufficient to tackle the problem, not just the one or two things that are necessary but not yet sufficient. Does, does that help? It does. Could you talk to us a little bit um, more about that? What are what can states and policymakers do uh, in terms of um, in terms of either programs, like you said, a, a multi pronged approach is needed to this. So, what are the measures that can be put in place yeah. by states? So, because the NFHS has shown some improvement, absolutely, including yeah. a decrease in infant and child mortality, a rise in institutional deliveries, vaccine coverage has increased as well. Sanitation. Has so these are all encouraging well, signs. Absolutely, yeah. So uh, you know, uh, again, it's there cannot be a one size fits all strategy, right? So, so at this point, I think we know a lot about the problems and. The drivers of those problems in a, you know, in a scientific sense. You have to now, you really have to apply that science to, to your geographic context. So for example, if you know, uh, you know, say I'm working on malnutrition in Orissa, right? Uh, and we know that in Orissa, they've done an amazing job of delivering the programs, uh, very high levels of coverage, et cetera, et cetera. But when I do a strategic diagnostic of, okay, what are the things that are still remaining in terms of known drivers? Um, you can see that there is, you know, there remains sort of a challenge, that sanitation remains a challenge and that um, early marriage is quite high. And so then, you know, it points you in direction. So by doing sort of a geographic or contextual diagnostic using the data that's available. And I think the beauty of NFHS is that data is available all the way down to the district at this point. You can basically say, okay, what do I need to tackle? You don't just run the same strategy. I'm not, I don't want to say program, but you shouldn't even have the same strategic focus in every single state, right? Because the, the challenges that relate to, um, say, childhood growth are going to be a little bit different in each of the different states. The gaps that need to be closed in those drivers are going to be a little bit different in different states or different districts. 
So for me, you know, instead of sort of looking at the problem in a national sense and sort of feeling despair, uh, we should be looking at it in a more localized, more contextual frame, should be looking at it through the lens of science and saying, okay, I know these, these, these things need to be in place to help children grow. What does that look like in my state and my district? And for whom? You know, so you look in every state, um, you now have the data by district to actually tell you which are the districts that are further left behind and, you know, where you need to close what kinds of programmatic gaps and what kinds of gaps in social determinants. And if you're, you know, that, so, so to me, that's a very important thing right now. You know, there cannot be this idea that we can implement one strategy for the whole country because you have to close the gaps that need to be closed and those gaps look different in different places. You know, in some states, you're not going to have an early marriage problem, but you may have a huge problem with, um, you know, with say, uh, complementary feeding, although that's a pretty important challenge everywhere. But you may have in some states, uh, you know, deep pockets of inequity that need to be tackled. So I think, you know, especially, for example, there are states that had or that have malnutrition, stunting, et cetera, in the 19, 20 percent. Those are the states where you're more likely to see, you know, pockets, you know, certain districts where things are particularly bad and therefore the state average starts to look, uh, you know, difficult. Um, so there again, you know, even within the state, I think you can't have the same exact same strategy for all the things. I mean, there are some things that are uniformly poor. There's something, you know, still kind of really, really puzzling, um, in terms of the quality of children's diets, right? Of infants' diets. There, you know, when, when something is, uh, in such bad shape across the whole country, yes, there you need to make sure that every young parent of a young child gets the right information on what, you know, children should be eating and then gets the right support if they need it in terms of income support or food support from the programs or whatever else. Um, but if kids are not getting even four food groups a day, you know, if 80% of kids are still not getting even four food groups a day, that really means that, you know, something is awry across a very wide range of families, not just among the poor. So on some things, you'll have to have a sort of uniform strategy of, you know, communication, education, awareness raising, coupling that then with additional resources that, you know, maybe some proportion of those families need. Uh, so, you know, I, yeah, I, I think it, this needs sort of very, uh, very close look at the data, very, uh, strategic reviews of the data at, you know, both what's happening in districts and what's happening in states. But I would start with the state. Punima, could you talk to us a little bit about the link between, um, child nutrition and the economy, if there is one? Um, well, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> there, there definitely is one. And I, I'm not sure whether you want the relationship between economic growth and child nutrition or child nutrition and the economy, because it's there and somewhat bidirectional, actually. Just in general, if uh, uh, with an economic slowdown, how does this impact child nutrition? Um, firstly, we, you know, I, I think what we know is there has been an economic slowdown in the last few years. Mm-hmm. And what we've yes. known from uh, many, many past experiences, not just here, is that every time there are those kinds of slowdowns. Obviously, household incomes, families are affected and food security is affected. Um, 
and that has direct implications on you know families' abilities to care for for their children, to access care, to provide high quality foods, etc. So you know what we don't know is you know who has been most affected by that. What does that you know? How has that actually played out? What has that done for? uh poverty in different parts around the country what has that done to household food insecurity and the reason we don't know that is that there has been no um consumption survey you know your nsso survey which is used to understand how families live you know it's used to understand what families spend their money on and how much they spend that survey has not been available um you know it, so so there is not a you know a clear again you know i i I want to emphasize what I had said earlier as well, the need for, you know, nationwide data that is representative, you know, for states and, you know, for districts is so very important instead of a patchwork of data that, you know, different researchers, et cetera, collect. So not having the NSSO um, kind of data set on, you know, on consumption uh, makes it very difficult to understand what the impact has been of the slowdown on families. So it may well be that, you know, what we see in terms of uh, sort of a stagnation of uh, improvements in child malnutrition uh, is in a sense um, a reminder that, you know, we need a little more data than this to understand what, what was happening with families. Because once you understand, once you have those consumption surveys, you can actually use that to say, okay, what proportion of families needs to be uh, reached in what geographic areas with what kinds of income support uh, kind of programs. Uh, otherwise, you know, one is making a lot of assumptions about, you know, how many poor there are, you know, who needs what support, you know, what can be done with available policy instruments, because it's not like India doesn't have a lot of policy instruments to, to provide social safety nets to the poor. What you need is to, you know, sort of ramp those up and up and down depending on what the need is. And right now we don't know that. So, you know, there are, there are obviously, there are strong links. I mean, if, you know, if we just think of everybody else as we do sort of in a pragmatic sense, you know, what does it take for every single family of a young child to, you know, to make sure that child eats well, is fed well, is, is nurtured, lives in a clean environment, et cetera. You realize the magnitude of the kind of what our goals need to be. Punima, one, just one last question before we uh, sign off. The data also shows a rise in obesity among children under five years of age. Yeah, yeah. In uh, 20 of the 22 states and union territories that yeah. were covered. Um, what does this really indicate about uh, healthy food habits in our country? Oh, well, so I, <laughs> so I think, you know, the overweight obesity findings are very troubling. You're seeing mm-hmm. it in the children, you're seeing it in the adult men and the adult uh-huh, yes, and the adult women as well, right? So that is very troubling. Um, and I, you know, it's here, it, it's just like I, you know, what I mentioned about, about stunting earlier. We, we need to sort of look at the totality of all the reasons, right? I mean, it's not just healthy food habits. It's so much. It's more than that. It's also, you know, it's also uh, physical activity. It's um, how time is used. There's there's all kinds of things there to to kind of dig into, but we have to at least start with what's happening around diets and around yes, food and food and feeding, 
and again, understand, you know, what is going on there in terms of, you know, so I think again, like, you know, I come back to this, I, to this, you know, the finding that babies are being fed such poor diets, it looks like. And, uh, the implications of that could be both ways, right? I mean, if you're in a, in a situation where all you're eating are three food groups that include, you know, cereals and sugars and fats and, and, you know, your prob and, and that's happening in, in excess, you're going to see one form of malnutrition. If it's, you know, not enough, you're going to see another form of malnutrition. So how do we sort of hit the right notes and find the right balance here literally is, I mean, is, this is the challenge of our lifetimes, honestly. We just don't, the nutrition strategy that India developed in, so the 2017, uh, nourishing India strategy, was very focused on undernutrition, you know, it, and rightly so, I think at that point in time, it acknowledged the fact that there was a rising burden of overweight and obesity, but I, I think just didn't have, you know, didn't have all of the actions laid out. And so I, I think it's time for, you know, a nutrition strategy that recognizes that these are all forms of malnutrition. You know, when you think of malnutrition in India, you should think you know, just as much about overweight adults and overweight children as you do about underweight, skinny, and anemic uh, people. That sounds like a double burden. It's, it, oh, it's the, this is, you know, beyond double burden, right? I mean, <laughs> you also have anemia, which means you have micronutrient deficiencies. So we have a multiple burden is how I would put it. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, the beauty of, you know, on the one hand, the beauty of it all is that the quality of people's diets are really important, both for undernutrition and for overweight and for, you know, for anemia. That's just one, you know, that's one element in the strategy. But how do you get a nation of 1.2 billion people and, you know, figure, I mean, how do we get individuals in this population, but also society and policy to focus in on creating sort of healthy diets for 1.2 billion people, you know, diets that don't sort of have one side of the population being undernourished, another side of the population being being overweight and at risk of, you know, range of different uh, diseases. Like I said, I truly believe this is the challenge of our lifetime. It cannot be done just from within one sector. I mean, one of the biggest challenges here is our food system and the fact that that the kind of food that you want to see on everybody's plates is unaffordable for many. Absolutely. Right? Because if we are not able to deliver um, food at prices that match with the resources that people have in their hands, we are not able to deliver healthy diets that match the resources that people have in their hands. So just the fact that healthy food is essentially very expensive. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, we have research on that, that, you know, a nutritious diet. So the, you know, you take the recommended nutritious diet from NIN or mm-hmm. anything else, you apply, mm-hmm. you know, the, the cost of that diet is fairly out of reach for, for a majority of the population. And that requires working both on the food system side, you know, to reduce the prices of, of mm-hmm. foods. And it requires, you know, getting more income and more information in people's hands so that they can make choices. And then you, I'm going to add a third challenge to this. You know, mm-hmm. is how do you do that then in a way that also makes income work for farmers? 
and for, for food producers. Mm, absolutely. You, you, see, you see how it, you know, it's, it's a very connected picture. Absolutely. So decreasing the price of food and ensuring that everybody has access to healthy food while also ensuring that the people who make the food Correct. <laughs> also have enough money to buy the healthy food. Yeah, yeah. You see, it's, uh, it, it's, it's a huge challenge ahead of us. <laughs> Thank you so much for speaking to us, Purnima. It was a pleasure. <laughs> yeah, sure. Thanks to Veda for the In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by The Hindu. We'll see you soon.